Those aren't really sins that would land you in hell. You're too hung up. You're too radical. Just relax and know that God loves you. Just be a good person. Good morning and welcome to God's Resistance. God's Resistance is local in Wilkesbury in the Wyoming Valley. If you need someone to talk to or pray with and are interested in joining a small group to help you live as a disciple of Christ, stay tuned for contact info. My name is Eric Samborski, and I want to thank you for tuning into God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. If you miss the radio program, then look for the God's Resistance podcast on your favorite podcast platform at 10 a.m. every Sunday, where these are uploaded, and you will find other content on there as well. You can find us at godsresistance.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube at God's Resistance. That is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. Make sure to like, follow, and turn on notifications for helpful spiritual contact. Content, excuse me. You can contact us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or give us a call at 570-362-7782. You heard in the beginning that I was saying also that this is local in the Wilkes-Barre area. That is where I am. That is where I want to be laboring and working under the call of God. But I also want this to be that whoever hears this, you pick up the torch of God's resistance where you are, and God's resistance can be much bigger than just a local area. Now let's listen in on today's briefing. I think some of us have heard, especially when we were children, I've got five young children, and there's spats that happen between them, but you probably remember when you were a young child, something happened to you, you maybe went to your parents and told them about it, you were crying about it, and you're probably told something like, Well, if you don't like what they did to you, then you should show them how to really act. You should be the better person and show them what is right, right? It's something to that effect. And, you know, we've heard the golden rule before. You know, do to other people what you want them to do to you. You know, the idea is still prevalent, not just with, you know, instructing small children, but it's still prevalent with adults even, that if you live by the golden rule, you'll get into heaven. I'm a good person. I don't, I don't mess with people. I, I don't do things bad to them. You know, if I do good to them, then they'll do good to me and God will accept me so I can get into heaven if I just follow the golden rule. No doubt that the golden rule would certainly benefit society, um, but it's not going to save you eternally. It's not going to make you go to heaven simply because you try and obey this golden rule, do unto others as you would have done unto you. This This golden rule is a result of a change that's done in your heart, that God does in your heart. You naturally will live out this golden rule, not just on the outside, you know, on the surface, but also inwardly, the intentions and motives of your heart. And the Sermon on the Mount really is a revelation of the life of a true Christian that has been radically changed by God. It is not just some lofty ideal, you know, that we, if we, Jesus showed us the, the most lofty way of life and we just kind of have to attain unto it. No, that is the result of a saved heart. And he was trying to show the religious age, the true power and life of God. So this is not merely an ideal to live up to, but that is the life of a Christian. The next two verses 
And by the way, we're going to be looking in uh, in Matthew chapter 7, and I'll tell you that. But the, the two verses after the golden rule in our chapter here in Matthew um, show us that there is more to the Christian life than just doing good or trying to be good. We should ask the questions, what is your concept of God right now? Think about it. What's your concept of God? Who do you think of God? Some think of, think of him as, you know, my, my, my buddy, my pal. He's the big guy upstairs. What is your concept of God? What is your concept of holiness? When you hear that word, what do you think? What's your concept of sin? What is sin? Is it just really awful, evil, heinous things? Or is sin something else? And what is your concept of church? What is the church's job? What should the church be like? Those answers that you, you would gain from these questions, your answers, your own answers, will help us to understand better what God expects of us, what God is trying to tell us through the Bible itself. We need to, if we don't have a, the, a correct biblical concept of God, if we don't have a correct concept of holiness, if we don't have the correct concept of sin, and we don't have the correct concept of what the church of Jesus Christ is, then the Bible really can be an irrelevant book to us. It, it'll, it'll do nothing for us. Uh, maybe it'll help us live somewhat of a better life here if we try and grit our teeth and do what it says. But there's something more to that. And a lot of people have such a watered-down idea of what the gospel is, of who God is, and what sin and holiness are. They have a really watered-down idea. But we're not interested in what people think. We're interested in what God thinks. And you should be, if you're a seeker, interested in what God thinks. Even if you're not a seeker and you're concerned about the most important fundamental issues of life, why am I here? Where am I going? What's my purpose? You know, all of those questions. Then we should want to know, what does it say in the Bible? What has God revealed to men? So we're going to be looking in Matthew chapter 7, verses 12, 13, and 14. Just three verses this morning. Jesus said in the 12th verse of Matthew chapter 7, Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Therefore, I've said this many times in previous programs, when we're reading the Bible and we see the word therefore, then we need to see what it's there for. And so, in this instance, when Jesus says, therefore, it is the summation of the entire principles that he's laid out in the Sermon on the Mount. He has preached many different things that have to deal with our spiritual life and and what that means practically as we're trying to live it out. And so, when he says, therefore, it's like he's summing up all the stuff that he's just said before in Matthew chapter 5 and chapter 6 and the beginning of chapter 7 here. He said, therefore, this kind of sums up all of his teachings, all things whatsoever. All things whatsoever. Now, this is not just talking about judging, which was previously in this chapter, but all things whatsoever. And maybe I should finish the verse here and then we can kind of go back and look at this. But he says, therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So all things whatsoever doesn't mean just judging. You know, well, don't judge other people unless you want to be judged by the same standard you're judging. That is true, but that's not all he's talking about. What about times where you're angry towards somebody else? 
the anger that you have towards somebody else, is it justified? And you say, yes, it is. Well, here's the question then. All things whatsoever. What about uh, how you would like somebody to treat you? And I may be getting a little bit ahead of myself here, but all things whatsoever. When you're angry, when you're giving to charity, or you're giving to somebody in need, when you have to deal with your enemies, when there is a temptation to lust, when there is a temptation to retaliate for wrongs that are done to you, when we're supposed to be as Christians salt and light to the world, when we make a promise or an oath, do we keep our word? Where are we laying up our treasures in this life or the next? And of course, judging. He says, in all things whatsoever. So that encompasses more than even what Jesus covered here in the Sermon on the Mount. He's literally saying, take this maxim to everything in life. Because if, if the Lord had to write down every single thing or possibility of, of circumstances that we might face and spell it out to the letter of the law, we would have an incredible law book that would almost be unmanageable. And if you didn't know every law in it, then you wouldn't be able to do it. So he gives us some prime examples of things that we deal with and that are not so great, you know, in people's hearts. But then he says, in all things whatsoever, it's like I've, I've given you a handful of some things to consider and think about in your life. But it's even more so than that, all things whatsoever. This maxim is for everything in life. And he says, all things whatsoever, ye would that men should do to you. So before you judge someone, ask this question to yourself. If I was to judge someone else the way that I'm thinking, how would I feel if the roles were reversed? In other words, would I like somebody to judge me the way that I'm thinking to judge them? If the answer is yes, then you can go ahead with a clear conscience. If the answer is no, then you should probably keep your mouth closed. You probably shouldn't judge anyone. It goes to the same with lust. How would I like it? Maybe uh, I could say it as a man, and, and it could be as a woman who's listening just the same. What if you were looking at someone else's spouse with lust after them in your heart, imagining some things that you would like to do with them? Would you like that to happen to you, listener? If you have a boyfriend, girlfriend, if you have a, a spouse, would you like it if somebody was lusting after your spouse the same way that you're considering to lust after someone else's? How about anger? You're angry towards somebody else. Is it justifiable? Ask yourself this question. If the roles were reversed and I did this thing that that person in front of me has done, would I like anger to be fired at me the way that I'm thinking about firing it at them? Retaliation. When I want to pay somebody back for some wrong that they've done, ask myself this question. If I were that person, would I like to receive the retaliation that I really want to give them right now if the roles were reversed? What about keeping your word, making promises, saying you're going to do something? And maybe you think, ah, oh, it's not that big of a deal. I said that, but I can't do it. I don't really mean it. Would you like that if you were the person now that was expecting you to come through on promises? Would you like to be the one that has been told a promise and then gets let down in the words that people tell you don't mean anything? If you don't like that, then you should keep your promises with a person that you're dealing with right now. What about anything else? that you think or feel or do to anybody. Bring these questions up before you. Say, would I like somebody to treat me 
the way that I am presently considering treating someone else. This is the crux of that golden rule. So we should be a more thoughtful people. We shouldn't be people that are just mere reactionaries. You know, it's super easy to just react to something. You hear something you don't like and then you spout off at the mouth. Doesn't take anybody noble to do that. That happens all day long, every day throughout the entire world. Somebody says something, they don't like it, and then we let them have it. We tell them how it goes. Or, you know, any of these other areas that I was just speaking of, we just kind of react. We react. We react. We don't even really think about it. Those that are most noble in society, those that are living now, those that are of the past, we've read their biographies or heard of them, those that are most noble, they live and work by principle and not just by their passions. And when I say passions, I don't mean your passion about something. I mean just those base desires, you know, your passions of anger, your passions of jealousy and lust and hatred and all these kind of things. Truly noble people, they live and work by principles. Even if there's a temptation towards certain passions, those baser passions inside of their own hearts, their sense of right and wrong and nobility says, well, that's really not useful. I'm not going to do that. So you may have already experienced ill treatment from other people. So we can use this also as something to govern our behavior. When somebody treated you poorly, how did it make you feel? Did you enjoy that? How did that ill treatment towards you affect your life from that point forward? I've had times where I thought to myself, I really don't like the way people are treating me now. And I have prayed and said, Lord, help me not to do to other people what this person is presently doing to me right now. And I've thought about that. One instance is uh, you've probably been near somebody or whatever that you feel like you've got something important that you'd like to say to them. You start talking. And they're not paying attention to you at all. They're so distracted by, you know, they're scrolling through on their phone or they're trying to do other things. Uh, You know, they they just look like they don't really even care what you have to say. I've been in those situations before where I'm, I'm, it's like I'm trying to spill my heart out to somebody and they could care less. You know, they, they care more about themselves than they do about anything else. And sometimes I'm trying to say something and maybe somebody just talks right over me and they're, they're just not really listening. I know in my own mind and heart, those times have happened and I've said, Lord, I really don't like the way this feels right now. I would like to be you know, heard. I feel like I've got something important to say. And then I've prayed, Lord, please help me not to do this to other people. I don't like the way this feels and I don't want to make someone else feel the way that I do right now. So please help me. So you can ask yourself those questions as well. Use those untoward circumstances as fuel to do differently by God's amazing and powerful grace. Then he says, whatsoever you would have done unto you, do ye even so to them. So make those musings, those thoughts, the things that we've just been talking about now, make those affect your actions for good and for righteousness. And Jesus said, for this reason, for this golden rule, do unto others as you would have done unto you. This is the law and the prophets. It sums it all up. Christianity is not just a religion or a way of life. There are many laws that are written down in the Old Testament. And a human condition is we kind of like to boil things down to rules and laws so that we don't have to continue to kind of live in the moment as a dynamic person or we don't have to waste our energy thinking about something. So we like to just put it in systems and, and things like that. But all the laws that were given in the Old Testament and all of the preaching of the prophets are fulfilled in this golden rule. 
And really the golden rule is to love your neighbor as yourself. That's essentially what it's telling us. If you could really live and do this, the golden rule, do unto others as you would have done unto you, there would be no need for numerous laws. Laws are crafted to get people to spell out what is right and wrong, but laws are powerless in and of themselves. They can't make somebody good. So the golden rule is the fulfilling of God's law. And where do you stand with the golden rule and things that are happening in your life even right now? In case you've just tuned in, you are listening to God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the world, and the devil. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at God's Resistance. That is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. You can also email us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or call us at 570-362-7782. Now when we move on here from the 12th verse here in Matthew to the 13th and 14th verse, you might think, what in the world do these, does this golden rule have to do with these two other verses that we're going to read? And I'd like to attempt to show you what a connection is here. Jesus says in verse 13, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. So enter ye in. Enter, especially when it's coming from the lips of somebody else, and in this case Jesus, is an invitation. This is your responsibility. Do you want to come in? He said, Enter ye in. Where? The kingdom of God. Enter into the kingdom of God. Enter into eternal life. Enter into a present salvation. Enter into the life hid with Christ in God. Enter into a life of true holiness. Not just actions, but first being. Inward holiness, inward truth and light and righteousness. He's saying, enter ye in. This implies also that the kingdom of God in the heart is a desirable pursuit. This is something that to seek after. And to illustrate that, I would say, why are there so many churches and believers? There's churches that pop up all over the place. Some of them are are kind of traditional uh, denominational names. Others of them are a little more trendy, uh, you know, kind of like Hope Church or um, I I don't know. I can't even think. There's so many different ones. But why are there so many churches, quote unquote, and believers, quote unquote? People want the peace and the purpose that comes as a result of being a Christian believer. They see that there's reward for it. That's why they pursue after it. Whether or not all of these churches or believers or doctrines or teachings are right according to the word of God is really beside the point. The point is, many people want to go to heaven. If you ask just anybody on the street you talk to, or anybody in a store or something, would you like to go to heaven or hell? The large percentage of people would say they'd like to go to heaven. Therefore, they make some sort of an effort to make heaven their home. And whether or not that actually gets them there is besides the point, but it shows that people are trying to enter in. It is a worthy cause and pursuit. But Jesus tells us where we're to enter in. He says, enter in at the straight gate. In other words, this is how you enter in. 
I'm giving you the invitation. Let me tell you how to enter in. What is straight? We don't use this word S-T-R-A-I-T in modern American vernacular. What does it mean here? It means narrow. The Greek word is stenos, which is where we get the word stenosis. We, I knew a lady who had spinal stenosis in her neck and it would pinch off her nerves and it would make her fingers go numb because it was a narrowing of that canal in her neck, uh, in her spine, where the nerves would go through and pinching it off. So it's narrow. That's what he's saying. Enter at the narrow gate. Why should I have to go that way, you might ask? Why do I have to go that way? Well, Jesus says, for or because wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. So a wide gate, that implies an entrance. I mean, a gate in general implies an entrance to an otherwise closed space or place. Whether it's a narrow gate or a wide gate, it implies that that is an entrance point. So the benefit of a wide gate is that it accommodates wider objects or maybe many objects at once, whereas a small gate, you can only have so much going at once or so such a certain size. So in, in this wide gate, especially in a spiritual application, there is room for you and your sin. If you go spelunking, which is, you know, you're going into caves that are underground, very narrow passages and such. If you go spelunking, you can't wear a backpack because of the narrow passages that you have to go through. It's a narrow gate. It's a narrow way to get into a big cave that may be underground, but it's a narrow way to get in there. So this is kind of the same idea. Wide is the gate he was talking about. You can go all in, but he says narrow as the gate is the entrance. You can't bring your sin in with you. What is the problem with having many people come in at once? Doesn't God want everybody to be saved? Well, there's nothing... That's the problem in and of itself here. But there is a danger here that many go in the wide gate and walk the broad way simply because it's easier. There is a book called Pilgrim's Progress written in the 1600s by uh, a man called John Bunyan. And it's an allegory. It's, it's enlightening. But in Pilgrim's Progress, there was a man called Christian who's trying to get to the celestial city, which is heaven. And he meets some people that are not going the king's way. One of them was Mr. Worldly Wise Man. Oh, you don't have to go this way. Oh, my, that's far too hard. Don't you know there's an easier way over here to be respectable? And that was kind of his way and legality. Oh, all you have to do is just live right and have a moral life and do things nice on the outward. And God will weigh our good and our bad in the balances. And if our good outweighs the bad, then we'll get in. Always someone or something was trying to get Christian, the main character there in Pilgrim's Progress, to go some easier way that does not lead to the, to the celestial city. So that's the problem with this wide gate, is it's kind of an imposter's gate. It's, it's deception. He says, wide is the gate and broad is the way. So some may enter the narrow gate, but we must also be warned about the broad way. Christianity is not just an entrance into an experience, but it's a life lived out until we die. We cannot just get our ticket punched and then live however we please, all the while believing that we are Christians and will make heaven our home. One, one man once, I, I talked with him in a parking lot and he insistently argued with me that you just have to get your ticket punched and once you do that, it doesn't matter how you live. You can't find that in the Bible. The broad way is a way that is wider than what Jesus taught and lived. That's something for us to consider. The wide gate in the broad way 
lead to certain destruction. What is that certain destruction? Hell, eternal damnation, everlasting torment, everlasting remorse and regret, everlasting anguish. The wide gate and the broad way lead there to an everlasting hell. The problem is that in spite of what Jesus said, many travel this way all the way to hell. That wide, go through the wide gate and the broad way. And Jesus teaches us that more go to hell than go to heaven. You might say, well, it doesn't say more. It says many go this way. Well, let's move on to the next verse, verse 14. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it. This verse tells us why more go to hell than heaven. Because narrow is the way. Many Christian teachers and authors of our days speak of the broad way. You're fine the way you are. God loves you. Your sins are not really that bad. Self-esteem psychology is put in the place of biblical Christianity. It's a Christianity, not victory over sin, but feel good in your sin. That's kind of the prevalent talk. And there's a devotional that um, my wife had um, come across. It was called Wild and Free. I don't even have to read the inside of it, but people, it just illustrates that people don't want the narrow way with difficulties, but they want the easy way that lulls them to sleep in a false hope or a false comfort. And really, who likes to walk down a narrow path at the ridge of a precipice? Who likes to drive down a very narrow road? There's so much talk about broad-mindedness in our culture, but what about absolutes of God? That narrows things down, doesn't it? Narrow has taken on a cultural shunning. A narrow entrance is what Jesus says is going to make us get to heaven, and a narrow way thereafter. Which this, he says, this narrow way leads unto life. The simple fact is, though the culture bucks at narrowness, it is the only entrance and only way thereafter that leads to heaven. Life is speaking here of that eternal life. This leads to eternal life. So, why is it narrow? Well, the world is under the rule of the God of this world or the Prince of Darkness. And I would have you check out previous podcasts on Resist the Devil and Resist the World for more about that. But the devil's system and values are at odds with God's systems and values. We have to shun all that competes with God and his holiness. This narrows our desires, our pursuits, our actions, etc. It narrows them all down. We are to be narrow. We're not to be narrow for narrow's sake, but for the race we run so that we can be sure to win the prize. Hebrews tells us, lay off every weight in the sin which doth so easily beset us so that we can run the race. You know, we don't mind having a personal trainer tell us what foods we shouldn't eat. Don't drink alcohol. Don't have late nights. Get, get the rest you need to because we want to train for a marathon or because we want to lose weight. We say no because of the greater yes. But why is it that we buck when it comes to our soul and eternity? It's because we, we naturally are inclined toward evil as human beings because of the fall of mankind. Jesus said, few there be that find this narrow way. This makes it evidently clear that few go to heaven and many go to hell. And then he says, few there be that find, implying that seeking has got to take place. There's not a lot of people that will pursue after God with diligence, consistency, and strong desire. So what are we going to do? Wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the gate, or straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leads to life, and few there be that find it. Who are you in this mix? I would ask you this question. Which gate are you walking toward? Which gate have you already walked through? 
Which way are you presently on right now? Which way do you intend to walk from here on out? Or even, yeah, just from here on out. Do you need to return and enter the narrow gate? Do you need to repent and walk on the narrow way that Jesus speaks of? Do you need to find maybe a different church because you find they're not talking about the narrow way here. They're talking about this broad way that leads to destruction. So do you need to find a different church that actually teaches and preaches what Jesus taught and lived, what the Bible says? You know, you can yet repent and enter the right gate and walk on the right way. It's not too late if you're hearing this now and realizing that you have gone through the wide gate and you're walking on the broad road. You can repent and start walking and entering that narrow gate and and walking that narrow way. You can do that. You can break out of a religious practice and know the life-giving power that Jesus himself gives. He wants to prove himself to you. Your next step is to call 570-362-7782 or email gods.resistance at gmail.com. Introduce yourself. Set up a time to meet, and I want to coach and help you further to walk with God. Also, make sure to like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. There'll be more teaching, preaching to help you on your journey. Connect with others that are also on their journeys there as well. Also, tell your friends about this broadcast every Sunday at 9 a.m. here on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. Tell them about our social media accounts. But above all, join the resistance, God's resistance. Special thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission for the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under Attribution Share Alike 4.0 International Creative Commons license. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creative commons dot org forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen essay forward slash 4.0 forward slash legal code.